If you're trying to find Jesus, you can find him in community. If you're looking for Jesus, you can find him in the church. If you're looking for Jesus, you can find him amongst a gathering of people who have come together in his name. That's where you can find Jesus. It's a promise in scripture. That if, you, if you're looking for him, if you're trying to be with him, you know, maybe you're struggling to find him like in your life, you're going through some difficult seasons and God seems far from you. That one of the primary ways that you can come closer to Jesus and in proximity to him is through community, through fellowship with the people of God, through putting yourself in a gathering of people who have come together to gather in the name of Jesus. Uh, hey, we are in week four of our teaching series uh, we've been in called Jesus, uh, and it's a series we're going to be in uh, the first three, four months of the year, taking a deep dive, not, it, not just into uh, discovering who Jesus is, but we're taking a deep dive into learning how he, uh, how he lived. So, you know, um, I mean, not to take away from who he is, because it's very important that you know that, but once we understand who Jesus is, we want to also look at how he lived his life, because we believe that 2,000 years ago, there was a new lifestyle that was introduced into the world uh, that was unlike anything the world had ever seen before, right? It's the way of Jesus. We've been talking about this for a number of weeks now. And that when Jesus came to this earth, when he introduced this new way, uh, essentially it was, it was a way that was completely upside down in terms of values, uh, in terms of like pursuits, than any other lifestyle that had existed on the face of the earth prior and since. And, and so... Uh, the way of Jesus, it invites you and me into, uh, into another way. It invites us into a lifestyle that the Gospel of John says is the abundant life or the life that is life. And so, you know, we want to, you know, order our lives around this uh, over the next several weeks and see what might just happen. Like, we, we are very much attempting to build this church around this idea of just following Jesus, okay? Like, the Cat's out of the bag, right? If you didn't know, now you know. Like, we are trying to build this church around this idea of following Jesus. And so, so to do that, uh, it will require us, you and me, um, to really live into three primary goals or three, you know, uh, big concepts. It's, if you're taking notes, it's one, we want to be with Jesus. Two, we want to become like Jesus. And three, we want to do what Jesus did, all right? So be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and then do what Jesus said. This is what the way of Jesus is built on. So what I'd say to you is, is this, as we get started. Wherever you're at on like the socio-political spectrum, okay, maybe you're on the right, the left, or maybe you're like many of us who just feel dazed and confused in between, okay, right? Wherever you're at, like on the spectrum, I think we all could probably agree that the need of the hour is for men and women who are with Jesus and who are like Jesus and who are doing the kinds of things that Jesus did in this world. Amen? And that's what we're trying to live into, this, this idea, okay? And so what we've been focusing on at the front part of this series is this, this first idea of how to be with Jesus. And so I'm going to wrap that section up this week, and next week we're going to shift into this uh, focusing on how to become more like him. I believe that there is an open invitation from Jesus for you and I to just come and see. I believe that there is an open invitation from Jesus for you and I to come and to learn what he is all about, to, to come and see if all the rumors are true, 
Like if he really is who he says he is. There is these, this invitation in the Gospels from Jesus to so many people. And I think it's, it's, it's still there for you and for me to just come and see for ourselves. It reminds me of a really famous line in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Familiar with the movie, I'm sure. Especially just coming out of, out of the Christmas season. But in the movie, there is this encounter, this interaction between the ghost of Christmas present and Ebenezer Scrooge. And if you remember the movie, like... The ghost of Christmas present is the giant, right? He's the big guy. He's the one laughing. And uh, he can't fit into the room. So he's in this huge room in Scrooge's house, and he can't get through the doorway. So he, he kneels down. You remember this? He kneels down, and he looks through the doorway, and he's just laughing. He's like this big old man. And, and, uh, and he says to Scrooge this right here, if you're, if you're taking notes or want to look at this. He says, come in and know me better, man. Come in and know me better, man. I love it. Because the invitation to Ebenezer Scrooge is, is this idea of, hey, come closer so you can gain a, a better understanding of the present situation of your life. Again, it's the ghost of Christmas present. Like, here's, here's what your present situation is. I think, I think there's something really similar in this invitation to the, to the invitation of Jesus to you and me. I think it's in the invitation of come closer and know me better. Right? Come closer and know me better. And that's, listen, everything... Everything in your life, in your spiritual life, in your relationship with God, it, 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 it like, um, it's based on this right here. It's based on being people who learn how to be with Jesus. Like, like listen, it, let's just say you, you were trying to be like me, right? Or you're trying to be like Mike, you know? All right, come on. Kids don't get it, right? But let's just say you're trying, trying to be, you know, like, 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 like me or like someone, a hero, um, like, you've got to be around them, right? You have to, you have to understand how they lived. You have, to, you have to be familiar. You have to be in proximity if you're going to then become like them, let alone do the kinds of things they did in this, in this life, in this world. And so, you know, everything kind of flows from this. Like, like the life of Jesus, the life of, of God, in our, it flows from being with Jesus, um, so, so I, I would tell you that I believe that Jesus can be found in really two primary ways. I, there are for sure more than two ways, but I think that the, the, the list we would create of additional ways to, to, to like find Jesus or be with Jesus would almost be offshoots of these two, two primary things. The, one, the first one I already talked about two weeks ago. I gave, gave a message called Abide, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to go out and, and uh, watch it online. But, but you know, the, one, the, the one idea I talked about two weeks ago was, was really the Holy Spirit. Like, if you want to be with Jesus in 2022... It's going to be through the Holy Spirit, right? We know, we all know, Jesus is not here physically in bodily form any longer. 2,000 years ago, he ascended into heaven, and, and the Gospels tell us he's at the right hand of the Father. That's where he's at physically. The way we experience Jesus and know Jesus and are with Jesus in, like, the modern context in 2022 is through the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go in great detail to that because I already did a whole sermon on that. You can go check it out. But the second primary way that you and I can really be with Jesus is uh, it's through the church. It's through the church. It's through the, it's through the community of believers. It's through the family of God. And so here is what I'm saying, just to be clear. The church is one of the primary ways for you to be with Jesus, okay? It's one of the primary ways for you to be with Jesus. I, I'm gonna just prove it, okay? I, I love just proving things, okay? So uh, I'm just kidding, but let me just show you. Uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 18, verse 20, he says, for where two or three come together in my name, there am I, and what's the word? With them. 
There am I with them. So you know what this verse is teaching? A lot of people look, look at this verse and they think immediately about prayer. And that's not necessarily wrong, but it's not, it's not necessarily like the whole picture. What the verse is really saying here is like, if you're looking for Jesus, if you're trying to find Jesus, you can find him in community. If you're looking for Jesus, you can find him in the church. If you're looking for Jesus, you can find him amongst a gathering of people who have come together in his name. That's where you can find Jesus. It's a promise in scripture. That if, you, if you're looking for him, if you're trying to be with him, you know, maybe you're struggling to find him like in your life. You're going through some difficult seasons and God seems far from you. That one of the primary ways that you can come closer to Jesus and in proximity to him is through community, through fellowship with the people of God, through putting yourself in a gathering of people who have come together to gather in the name of Jesus. And so, a lot of this is just because of the Holy Spirit, you know? Again, the, the, other, the other thing that helps us be with Jesus, but there's like more to it. Like it's not just like, oh, well, the, because you have the Holy Spirit and because I have the Holy Spirit, when we get together, now Jesus is there. It's not just that. I want you to look at the side because there's more, there's more to it than that. If you're taking notes, look at this with me. The church, us, you know, there's the local church and then there's like, like the global church or that's the big C, we're the little C, okay? So the church empowered by the Holy Spirit, so not, not, not absent from the Holy Spirit or apart from the Holy Spirit, the church empowered by the Holy Spirit is the primary way that Jesus has chosen to manifest himself in the world for the last 2,000 years. Okay? I think it's true. It's the primary way. Like, Christianity, did you know, like, it does not have a guru, okay, or like an enlightened man that if you, like, travel you know, to that person and spend some time with them, you'll now have essentially been with Jesus. Like, we don't, we don't have that. We're not, yeah, we don't, homie, don't play that, right? So, like, that's just not us. Like, that's not Christianity. That's not how Christianity's built. Christianity is built on this idea that Jesus lives in you and Jesus lives in me. It's built on this idea that, that Jesus lives inside of the people of God via the Holy Spirit. And so, should you spend time with one of us, you will have essentially spent time with Jesus. That's how, that's how it works, right? Okay. That's a big deal. It's, that's how Christianity works. That's, how, that's one of the ways that you and I can be with Jesus, like in the here and now. It is, it is through community. It's through spending time with other people who have Jesus in their life. And you have Jesus in yours, and you come together, and you're just like, wow, like that was, that was incredibly profound. It's why some of you, like, like six days out of the week, you can feel like far from God, you can feel like everything's a mess, but you come here, and you're just like, you feel closer to God. You just feel like something happened in the room. I, like you just, you're like, man, that, 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 like, that shifted something. It's because collectively, we are gathering together, however many of us, and like you carry Jesus, and you carry Jesus, and I carry Jesus. We gather together, and it's like, Man, there is something different about the gathering of the saints, all right? Now, I want you to know that, like, like the church is not a building, right? So this is where we come together to gather for church. But when you leave here, we all leave here in a little bit, and I know you're getting hungry, and, you know, you're trying to figure out where you're going to go to lunch. But, like, when you leave and go to lunch, like, this isn't the church anymore. Like, it's the church now because we're here. But it, like, it's not the church once you're, once you're gone, once you're out of here, right? The church is not a location. The church is the people of God. It's why like, if this building burnt down or something severely happened to our facility, we could just meet out 
side in the grass, right? Or we could go to a park. Because like, the church is not a location. It's not a building. It is a gathering of the people of God. Okay. And so Christianity is built on this idea that Jesus lives in you and he lives in me via the Holy Spirit. And so should someone encounter us or interact with us, the way it's meant to work is that it's, it's as if they've kind of interacted with Jesus, right? President Woodrow Wilson had this amazing experience with a, a famed evangelist, D.L. Moody. Some of you may be familiar with him, some maybe not, but just an incredible um, evangelist uh, in, in American history, someone that uh, you, know, you, should, you should read about and, and learn about, had a significant impact on Christian life in the United States. Um, President Woodrow Wilson talks about a chance encounter he had with D.L. Moody one time at a barber shop. This is what he says. He says, a man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself and sat in the next chair to me. Every word that he uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, which means that there's, there's, there, was, there wasn't like an ulterior motive. Like, he, you know, um, he wasn't like leading uh, the person he was talking to to like an end. He was just genuinely interested in him. So it says, though it was not in the least uh, didactic, showed a personal and vital interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. Moody was in the next chair. I love this next part. He says, I purposely lingered after he left and noted the singular effect his visit had upon the barbers in that shop. I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. Like, this is the church. Like, this is what it means, okay? This is what Christianity is built on. Like, like, this is how people can experience Jesus in the here and now. Like, you know, he's, he's not physical. It, it, it's very spiritual. It's through the Holy Spirit in you and in me. And when people encounter us, they're like, there's something different. Like, there's something different about them. And, and I want to get to know that. I want to connect with that. And so what we're doing at this church is we're just trying to follow the way of Jesus. Like, like it's just real simple. It's like, it's simple, but it's not. Like, we, we want to just follow the way of Jesus. You know, um, I've said more than once in this series so far that like so much of us at times are just attracted to the life of Jesus, but not the lifestyle of Jesus. It's very difficult to have the life without the lifestyle. You know, there, there's like maybe some loopholes, like, you know, the thief on the cross didn't have the lifestyle of Jesus, but at the end of his life, he got the life of Jesus, thank God, right? So, so it's, it's, it's not, we're not talking like, like legalistic here, and you got to do this and this and this, but, but to really experience the abundant life, the life of Jesus, there's a way to do that, and there's a way to not do that. Like, you know, like, like you, you can do, so that's why some of you, Christianity is so hard. That's why for some of you, Christianity is so, like, cumbersome, and it's difficult, and, and you're just like, man, I don't know, like, and it doesn't feel very life-giving to you. It's because, it's because for many of us, we're not actually following the way of Jesus. Maybe we're Christians and we're headed to heaven, but we're not following the way of Jesus. There is a lifestyle to following Jesus, to the life of Jesus, and that's what we are trying to pursue here at this church, and so how do we do this? Well, one of the primary ways is through church, or said another way, it's through community, through community. Why? I've already kind of said it, right? You're probably already there with me, because as we gather in his name, he promises to be with us, right? That's, pretty, that's a pretty amazing promise of Jesus. Community is a word that all of us are probably familiar with. It's a word that we use. It's in our vernacular. Like, we all, like, use it. It's, you know, uh, we, we hear it. Uh, we, we use it, we, we see it everywhere, so it's a, it's a word that we know. And so because of this, immediately we probably start to just assume, you know, what it is. Uh, we, we, we have like an understanding of this word that pops into our minds right when we hear the word community. 
And for most of us, we probably define community the way that Sherry Turkle does uh, right here, if you're taking notes. She says, communities are constituted by physical proximity, shared concerns, and common responsibilities. Now, she's talking about broader community, right? Uh, like, like, the, like, like cities or neighborhoods or, na- or, or nations. There's like a national identity that we have that's a part of our community and things like that. But it's true, you know, it's true, I think, of the church in some ways, like constituted by physical proximity. We have shared concerns as, as, as believers in Jesus, and we have common responsibilities that we feel like we have as followers of Jesus as well. I think there's more to this definition, and I'm gonna unpack that in a minute. But look, look, you look at a defin- definition like this, and you don't have to look very hard to notice that as a society, we have seen a serious decline in community. Is that true? Like a serious decline. Like it's not just in the church. Like it's, 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 it's everywhere. Like community is something that is like less of a value. And it's because of this, if you're taking notes. In Western civilization, the increase of radical individualism is the primary cause for the staggering decline of community and the tragic rise of loneliness. Hyper-radical individualism is the primary cause for the staggering decline of community and the tragic rise of loneliness. This is what it is. And so, and so radical individualism is, you know, you do you, uh, right? It's, it's like, it's like the, the mantra of like the age. It's, it's what we see in this, you know, cultural moment right now. Like, like you do you, you pursue what you want. You, you, you achieve what you want to achieve. You know, it's, it's a society that's really built on this core value of, of like consumerism, that like your primary purpose in life is to consume as much as possible in this life. And then, and then you know, you get to the end and hopefully you've lived a good life. That, that like that everything that's out there that's good and beautiful is meant to, for your consumption. And, and it's just a lie. And so this hyper-individualism or radical individualism has, has actually deconstructed the, the, like the, the roots and the fabric of community in, in just civilization, and it's caused a tragic rise in people feeling more lonely uh, than ever before. Have you ever know that, noticed this to be true in your own life? In, like, you don't have to raise your hand. I, I don't want to put you on the spot. But have you ever noticed uh, this in your own life? Have you ever felt lonely yourself? Mother Teresa she famously said this. She said, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Over the last 15 years, at least, maybe a little longer, I'm sure you've seen this in survey after survey that in parallel with the rise of social media, the number of people who mark lonely or that they don't have a close friend or family member to connect with has skyrocketed. It can be easy for us to miss this in the digital age. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have email, we have text messaging, we have FaceTime. It can be easy for us to miss this rise in loneliness in a world that is very, very, very connected. Listen, we're more connected than ever before, but I want you to understand this morning, connectivity is not the same thing as community, okay? Connectivity is not the same thing as community. In 2018, Theresa May, then the Prime Minister of the UK, she appointed a Minister of Loneliness for the sole purpose of coordinating the government's response to loneliness in their country. Can you imagine that? Like, like there's an actual position in the government of the UK called the Minister of Loneliness. 
She did this based on a study that nearly 9 million Brits, nearly 20% of the population, were identified as lonely. Listen to this. In her statement to the press, she said, um, far too many peop- for, far, for far too many people, loneliness is the sad reality of modern life. Well, the reality here is that this is not just a British problem, is it? In the U.S., rates of loneliness are actually much higher and have doubled since the 1980s. 35% of Americans report that they are chronically lonely. Only 8% report having a conversation with a neighbor over the previous year. In 1984, the average American had three confidants. Recent reports show that 25% of Americans have zero. George Gallup, right from the famed Gallup polls, he says this, he says, Americans are amongst the loneliest people in the world. Health studies have shown that loneliness is worse for your health than smoking 15 packs of cigarettes a day. 15 packs. Not 15 cigarettes. 15 packs. Some of you in your worst were never close to touching this, right? Right, maybe. I want to hear your story, like if this is you. Loneliness has been tied to heart disease, dementia, as well as anxiety and depression. And so what, we've, what we're learning here, right, is that, is that loneliness is this deep ache. Loneliness is this deep pain, really at the heart of our culture, okay? And at the same time, we see all of this loneliness, community, despite all of our technology and ability to connect, is more elusive than ever before. Wouldn't you agree? And so the question of the day, right, that's all like, making you feel pretty good, right? Man, is it really that bad? The question of the day is this then. Is there there a practice from the life of Jesus that has the potential to set us up for a whole new way of life that is interconnected through deep and meaningful relationships rather than a way of life that is disconnected and lonely and isolated? Like when we look at Jesus and we evaluate his life, is there a practice from his life that we could take from, you know, First century Israel, the you know, ancient Near East, could we grab something from the life of Jesus and like transport it into the here and now that would free us from being disconnected, lonely, and isolated and, and transport us into a life of being interconnected through deep and meaningful relationships? Is there something? The answer is yes, and it's community. But it's a different kind than maybe you would think right when you hear that word and how you define it in your head. It's different. And I want to tell you why. As Christians, we define community differently. Okay? I told you what Sherry Turkle says, and she's like a Harvard professor, and, and so she knows a lot, right? But, but it's different. She says communities are constituted by physical proximity, shared concerns, and common responsibilities. That's all true. We, we believe that. Christians define community differently because we take that definition and then we add to it. Okay? Community is this way uh, in, in Christianity. It's this, if you're taking notes. It's intentional relationships around the way of Jesus. That's what it is. Intentional relationships around the way of Jesus. I would say that there is possibly nothing more essential to your faith journey than community. It, it could be said that there is nothing more important to your faith journey than community. Inten- again, intentional relationships built in your life around the way of Jesus. Community is extremely vital to how we are transformed into Jesus followers. It's just the way it is. It's extremely vital 
to how you and I are transformed into Jesus' followers. Christianity is meant to be done in community, not in isolation. And when we do it in community with other people who want more of Jesus too, it changes us. We learn from them. They learn from us. We become together more and more like Jesus. And yet the sad reality is that true community is something most of us are missing and something we are not usually very good at. Oh, we can get together with friends. We can get together with friends. We can have some drinks and a good time. But relationships centered around the way of Jesus, don't you think that's a different story? Let me just give you this thought if you're taking notes today. Your circle of friends is not necessarily the same thing as following the way of Jesus in community. Your circle of friends is not necessarily the same thing as following the way of Jesus in community. It might be, but it also might not be. You may be, you may be here today and you may be like, I, I'm extroverted. And you think, oh yeah, like you've got a lot of friends and so you know, community's not a problem. You're not lonely or whatever. whatever. It's not a problem for you. you maybe you're thinking, man, I'm, I've got all kinds of community because you know, look at our social you know, circles and networks and like all the people we know. And maybe you're in community, but maybe you're not. Because we're talking this morning about intentional relationships built around the way of Jesus. Let me give you, let me give you a couple, couple thoughts here on this in my life. I've got two friends that I, 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 I consistently am meeting with monthly uh, in my life, and they are in my community. Uh, I am a better man because of them. I look more like Jesus today because of them, and hopefully they look more like Jesus today because of me. These are intentional relationships that I make time for, carve it out in my schedule, it's on my calendar so that I can be with them, they can be with me, we can laugh, we can have a good time, but we can talk about the things of God, and it changes me and it changes them. Listen, they, but they're also, like, they live here. They live in this city. They're people that I actually get with because community is, it's not, it's not online. It's, it's close proximity. I have a, a great friend of mine uh, who lives in Florida, great friend. I've known him for a long time. He's been a mentor of mine. Uh, it, it's kind of how the relationship started, uh, helped disciple me as a man of God. But, like, he's one of my closest friends in the world. I get, I get on the phone with him, or we, we, we meet up, and he was in Des Moines back in November. We get together, and it's just like we pick up where we left off, and it's easy for me to think that he's a part of my community, but he's actually not. Like, he's my friend, for sure, but he's not in my community. He doesn't live around me. He's not involved in, like, the day-to-day. -day. He doesn't see me at my worst very often or, or at my best. He sees me like, like when he flies in or I fly, I fly out or, you know, we drive through and, and spend time with them. Like, he's a great friend and he's someone I can get advice from, but he's not in my community. My parents are incredible. They, they give such good spiritual advice to me. They live out of the country in Trinidad. They're not in my community. Community is built on, like, actual proximity to people. And so having a, a circle of friends, which I hope you do, and I hope you have great, meaningful friendships that give life to you, it's not necessarily the same thing as following the way of Jesus in community. Relationships built around the way of Jesus. You with me today? Okay. Let's have a, way, a look at the way of Jesus this morning as we move forward, um, if you're taking notes. I want to kind of frame the rest of the morning off of this one idea. So, um, so get this. Like, if you get nothing else, get this. Uh, in a world of hyper-individualism, interdependence is the way of Jesus. In a world of hyper-individualism, interdependence is the way of Jesus. We've already talked about individualism, radical individualism, and, and you all see it, don't you? Like, 
Like we, we just, by default, kind of live into this mode. It's the way of the, it's the, way of the world, right? It's the way of culture. Uh, it's the way of, of like, you know, sexual, uh, secular society right now. Okay, so, but the way of Jesus, like I, I framed at the beginning, it's like, it's like upside down. Like it embraces values that are entirely different than the way of culture, right? So the way of Jesus is upside down than the way of culture. The way of, of, of culture right now in this secular moment is hyper-individualism. The way of Jesus is like, hey, hey, no, 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 no. That's not how, you, that's not what we do. It's interconnectedness. It's interdependence. It's, it's like having these relationships that are interlaced. Like I need you and you need me. Like, I can't do this on my own. I, I, I can't survive. I can't make it from here to whenever heaven comes without being interconnected and dependent upon other people. It's just not possible. So that's what I want to I kind of get in here, uh, you know, as, as we go. Um, are you with me today? Come on. This is, yeah, again, I feel like, yeah, you got to know you're being pastored well. Okay. Okay. Like, seriously. Like, I mean, you are. So... This is, this would change, like this, because here's why, this would change everything. This stuff would change everything in your life, okay? I want to look at, like, the community that Jesus built. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, says this, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. It says in verse 20 that at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's an amazing encounter right here. Like it, it, does this not blow your mind? Um, Jesus says to these, these four young men, he says, come and follow me. This can essentially be translated, hey, come and apprentice under me. Come, come learn from me. Come become like me. You know, you, you can, you know, if, if, you know, come let me teach you, and you can, you can do the things that I do. You can become like me. So Jesus right here in Matthew 4, you know what he's doing? Yeah, he's calling his disciples but he's, he's really building his community. You know, he's, calling, he's starting to call the 12. This is the beginning of him calling the 12. But really what he's doing is he's building his community. And so very, very early in the Gospels, you discover that in order to follow Jesus, you have to be in community. Like, it, it's, it's like a requirement. Because did Jesus just call one disciple? Right? And you know the answer. The answer is no. He did not. He called Peter and Andrew. He called James and John, and the cool thing about this is that he's just getting started, right? There's, there's eight more to go. These four young men that he calls out, they are good, hardworking, Torah-observant Jewish boys. They live up in the region of the Sea of Galilee, which was really the hot spot for discipleship or apprenticeship under a rabbi. Rabbi would have been one of like the you know, most respected jobs or occupations in first century Israel. And so it makes some sense why they would drop their nets and be like, yeah, I'll come. I'll come do that, you know? Um, thankfully, Jesus didn't just call the religious and the hardworking, though. He called uh, all kinds of people from all different walks of life. You turn to Matthew 8, and you see this 
in verse 18, it says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I kind of like that. That's pretty awesome. Like a teacher of the law, you know, like a Pharisee. Uh, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replies, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know what he's doing here? He's letting them know that like there is actually a significant cost to following me. It will literally cost you everything. It's not easy. He's letting them understand like, hey, it's not, it's not like all fun and games when you come and become, you know, as my disciple. Verse 21, it says another disciple came to him he says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You gotta love Jesus. You can read this and be almost offended by Jesus' comments here if you don't really understand what's going on because this phrase, uh, go and, and, and uh, uh, bury my father, it, it's really like a, a figure of speech it's not, this isn't a literal comment here. The man that, that is talking to Jesus doesn't literally have a father who's dead and saying like, hey, let me just go do a funeral quick. Like, you know, and Jesus, he's not heartless. Like, no, I don't want you, to, you don't need to attend your father's funeral. You don't need to pay honor to him. That's not what's happening here. And that's what we can assume. This is a figure of speech. The man is, is actually really saying, let me go back home and wait for my father to die so that I can inherit my piece of the estate in my inheritance and collect the wealth that I'm, that I'm due. And then once my father eventually dies, I will come find you and then I will become your disciple. That's what's really going on here. And Jesus is saying, look, it's not, it's not like that. Like you can't have them both. There is a significant cost to following me. And so there is an opportunity that we see in these verses right here for us to identify within ourselves where we are at when it comes to the invitation of Jesus to come and to follow him. Yeah, sure, I'll come and follow you, but can I take care of these other things first? Or can I wait for these other things to happen first? Like, I, I want Jesus, but I want this as well. Jesus says, look, just come and follow me. This is the invitation. And the thing that we have a hard time understanding is that it's actually an invite into another way of life that is far superior to the one that we're trying to hang on to. And so what we see in this story is that some were ready and willing to give up everything to follow Jesus in his new little community, but for others, the cost was far too great. You flip the page to Matthew 9. Jesus calls another disciple. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Uh, we know that name. Uh, we're reading his uh, gospel account of Jesus. Uh, yeah, so hopefully he gets the details right here, you know, as he's writing these down. Saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the, the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Yeah, he's awesome but go and learn what this means. Then he quotes from uh, the prophet Hosea here, and he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So good. So, Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. 
He is a Benedict Arnold, okay? He is a turncoat. He is a traitor. If you know anything about the cultural climate at the time, Matthew is a Jew working for the oppressor. He's working for the Roman Empire, and he is imposing the heavy tax burden on his own people. Matthew is on the payroll of Rome. Okay? They do not like him. Okay? It is not surprising to us then that his friends are made up of tax collectors and sinners. Like nobody wants to be his friend. He is imposing the heavy tax burden on his own people. In fact, if you've, if you've watched any of The Chosen, you, you know, the first season, you can see kind of the dynamic there of how people didn't, didn't really like Matthew at all. Sinners, as it's used here, was a term in the first century for those who were non-observant or non-religious Jew, Jewish men and women. So this isn't just like, he's not, he's not just like friends with like, you know, and you start to think of sinners, you think of like maybe the worst of the worst or whoever, people who, you know, uh, are in like the dark corners of, of, of the, the city. Now, his, his friends were non-observant Jews, non-religious people. So, so they were still Jewish like, like nationally or, or through their, their bloodline, through their race, but they were non-practicing. They, they were not following the, the Torah. They were not adhering to the Ten Commandments. Like, these were the people that Matthew hung out with, okay? The, these were his friends. And he's like a traitor, and he's imposing all kinds of tax on his people. And so it, it, let me just ask, do you notice how there's quite a bit of variety in Jesus' new little community? Matthew doesn't seem to have the same level of maturity of the Torah-observant Peter Andrew, James, and John, right? He doesn't seem to have the same level of maturity. But you know what I've noticed just in reading this is that Jesus seems to be more interested in the level of one's commitment than he is in the level of their maturity. He wants to know, are you all in? Because like, he, can, he can work with that. Like, are you all in? Are you actually going to follow me with everything? Because, like, maybe you don't know everything you need to know. Or maybe you feel, like, unequipped. Or, you know, like, I don't know the Bible quite like I need to. Like, Jesus can work with that. He wants to know, are you all in? Like, what's your level of commitment? Not about your level of maturity, but your level of, of commitment. You flip the page again to Matthew chapter 10, and I'm going somewhere with this. Um, we're just teaching the entire book of Matthew today. So Matthew 10, it says he, he called his 12 disciples to him, all right? So this is after he's called all 12 of them, and he gave them, the 12, authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Verse 2 says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. I already talked about him. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So, these are the 12. These men make up Jesus' inner circle. They make up his new community of people and I look at this verse you know this this verse two and three and you know what I noticed like only two men on this list get a descriptor only two men on this list get a, a like a moniker everyone else it just kind of says their name but there's two who get a descriptor one of the men we've already talked about just a second ago Matthew the tax collector um but the other one we don't really know anything about and his name's Simon the zealot we don't I mean we really don't know anything about him other than that he was Simon the zealot we know he was he was a a zealot. And, and so what we understand about that is that zealots were basically a violent, uh, insurgent sect of first century Jews, and they used guerrilla tactics to fight Rome. 
They, they were, I mean, literally called Sicaria in Hebrew. So if you've seen the movies, which I have not, but I mean, they're very intense. And that's where the term comes from, Sicaria in, in the Hebrew. Like this is, this is what it was, the zealots. Like the phrase meant dagger men, literally, because they would hide a dagger in their cloak and then they would sneak up to a um, um, Roman military officer, they'd stab him, and then they'd disappear back into the crowd. Hey, man, this is one of the men who built the church, right? So I tell you all that because I want you to see the diversity in this community of, that Jesus builds. And then can you imagine Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the zealot in the same little Bible study group together? Like, can you imagine that? Can you imagine them existing in the same community? Look, just imagine some, just it, like, it, it, you know, it's like the equivalent of some Make America Great Again, you know, person with, you know, um, big truck and gun rack in the back, and then they're, they're like in Bible study with like the women on The View or Michael Moore, you know, some Hollywood, uh, left, uh, elite Hollywood leftist or something like that. Like that, they're sitting down and like, Hey, you know, I love Jesus, you know, you know, like it's just crazy to imagine. I mean, it's like, it's like Ben Shapiro sitting down at a Bible study with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right? Like, like, let's just like do, let's do church together. Like, you know what I mean? It sounds so bizarre, but like Jesus is, is putting together a collection of people who don't belong in the same room together. Do you think that there would be tension in this group? Do you think they would have had words? Do you think politics would have come up? Do you think it would have gone well? It probably wouldn't have gone well. No. There is, this is just one example of the massive polarity that existed in Jesus' community, and there were many, many others that we could talk about today among the 12 disciples. Just, just one, I don't, I'm not going to show it to you, but later in Matthew chapter 20, there is actually the story of um, James and John, their mother, actually coming to Jesus and making a very strange request. She essentially asks Jesus if her two boys could be the ones who sit on his right and on his left in his kingdom. All right? That's, yeah, that's a helicopter mom right there. Okay? But like coming in and just like, hey, you know, like, hey, your mommy had to go, like, she's trying to like get these guys like a preferential place in the kingdom of God. And Jesus just like, you don't even know what you're asking, you know? And and that's when he goes through the whole deal and he says, you know, in my kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. And, but there's something you might miss in the story because the other 10 disciples find out about this. You know what the Bible says their reaction was? It says they were indignant, which is Bible for angry, right? Or something else. You know, like, it, like they were mad. They were so mad. They were so mad. This is the, these are the 12 disciples of Jesus. So think of this. Jesus puts together this little ragtag band of misfits as his community, and he pulls them in from across the spectrum, right? And it's not just a sociopolitical thing, which we kind of got at a little bit ago. It's, it's personality clashes as well. Like you have Peter, the type A loud and obnoxious one, who's like cutting off people's ears and, you know, getting, having to put, stick his, his uh, foot in his mouth. And you have Thomas, who's kind of the reserved and uh, introspective He's like the, blo the blogger cynic type, you know, that's just like in the corner, you know. And then you have James and John who are called in other passages of, 
passages of Scripture, you know, sons of thunder, like, which isn't a compliment, by the way. These men are fiery. They're like, they're a lot. And then you have them next to Judas, who was cold, analytical, and calculating. And this is Jesus' community. It doesn't require much of a stretch of the imagination to see that these guys had to have times where they struggled to get along. We read about the disciples. We read about the apprentices of Jesus. And you know what it tells me? All of, all of that. You know what it tells me? It's this if you're taking notes. It's that community is not an option when it comes to apprenticeship to Jesus. Jesus didn't just have a disciple. He had disciples. You never read about Jesus and Peter. You read about Jesus, Peter, James, and John, like the three in the inner circle of the circle. You read about Jesus and the 12, or Jesus and the 72, or Jesus and the hundreds, Jesus and the thousands. And so not only is, is community not an option when it comes to apprenticeship to Jesus, we see that Jesus himself lived in community. Jesus lived in community. Listen, Jesus was not some wise age with a big white beard who lived alone on the side of a mountain somewhere. Like, this isn't Jesus. Like, you know, like, Jesus basically lived in a mobile housing community. He didn't have a place to lay his head. They just, like, traveled around, like, in community. So, so I want you to, like, get this in context. So the call, like we said earlier, you know, when he calls these disciples to follow him, the call to follow him was at the same time a simultaneous call to join his community. It wasn't an option to do this apart from the community. Which, which just means this, if you take a note, it's like we're never expected to follow Jesus alone. We're never expected to follow Jesus alone. You know the reason why? It's mostly just because you can't. You can't. You just can't. You can't follow Jesus alone. You cannot separate your apprenticeship to Jesus from your involvement in community, specifically church, because the two just go together. They just go together. There are two major metaphors in the New Testament for what it means to be the people of God. Disciple, apprentice, which we talked about in depth, and then family, brothers and sisters, family. Galatians speaks a lot to this. Paul talks in Galatians about this idea of us being adopted into the family of God, like we are family. Like, so trying to have Jesus without his family doesn't really go real well. It's like you coming over to my house wanting to hang out with me for dinner, and then, but you're like, hey, would you mind, could you, like, your wife and kids just sort of stay upstairs? Like, I'd rather just like hang out with you. And I'm like, what? What did you just say to me? Like, let's talk, about my, talk to me about my wife one more time. You know? And like, that's just, like, that's how, that's how it would go. It's like, you can't, that's like a ridiculous request. Like, you can't have, you can't get me without my family like you can't get Jesus without his as well. My sister is, uh, is, is adopted. She's 11 years younger than me. Uh, and uh, my parents adopted her when she was an infant. And so I have a little bit of an idea of what it's like, you know, what adoption looks like and, uh, and, and what it means and how, you know, it, it affects a family. And my sister is adopted into our family, and, and like, she doesn't really have a choice on who her family is, like, right? It, it, she's been brought in, and she can't just separate her relationship with my parents from her relationship with me and my brother or grandparents, aunts and uncles, cousins. Like, this is her family, whether you like it or not. Like, you can't just separate and say, I just want mom and dad, but I don't want you guys, which a lot of siblings wish they could, right? I, I, I don't want you guys. I don't want my, my, uh, my grandparents. I don't want my aunts and uncles and cousins. If you could just, just me and my parents, that's good. It's all wrapped up together because we are a family. 
or a family. And in the same way, we can't be in relationship with God the Father, but not a part of the Father's family, or what in the New Testament is just called the church. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You guys, you guys can come on up. This is so hard for a lot of people to swallow in our hyper-individualized culture, particularly in a country where the practice of Jesus and me goes back hundreds of years. Jesus and me, we're good. See, we live, we live at a time where following Jesus has become something so incredibly internalized and personal that even some of the things I'm bringing up today just are so foreign and do not make sense. And what you don't maybe understand or realize, hopefully you are today, is that like this, this internal, personal, this kept to yourself is just not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus. Like it's personal, but it's shared. A recent nationwide survey was done by Barna on discipleship. Barna, if you know anything about them, they're one of the, like, the leading research groups like, it, for the church, for Christianity in culture. And in the survey, people were asked what their preferred method of discipleship was. Okay? Think about if you were asked this question. 38%, by far the majority, this is like the biggest piece of the pie, marked on this survey on my own. Their preferred method of discipleship was on my own. The question was essentially, how do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus with a community? Do you want to follow Jesus with a mentor? Nope. The majority answered, I'd like to follow Jesus just completely on my own. The biggest group responded that way. Me, Jesus, my Bible, my podcast, I'm good. Listen, that might that might sound good, but it's, 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 it's a trap, it's a lie, and it's been proven time and time again over thousands of years that it does not work. It's not the way of Jesus. Not the way of Jesus. It does not work like that, like that. The way of Jesus, I want to tell you this morning, it cannot be practiced apart from true Christian community. Intentional relationships built around the way. Ronald Rollheiser says this, he says, and I'm closing, I think. Just never know what the Holy Spirit does in the last few minutes, but uh, I think I'm closing here. Ronald Rollheiser says this, he says, part of the very essence of Christianity is to be together in concrete community with all the real human faults that are there and the tensions that this will bring us. Spirituality for a Christian can never be an individualistic quest, the pursuit of God outside of community, family, and church. The God of the incarnation tells us that anyone who says he or she loves an invisible God in heaven and is unwilling to deal with a visible neighbor on earth is a liar since no one can love a God who cannot be seen if he or she cannot love a neighbor who can be seen. He's just quoting scripture right here. Hence, I love that word. We gotta bring that word back. Hence, a Christian spirituality is always as much about dealing with each other as it is about dealing with God. This is it. This is it right here. So what this is essentially saying is that there is no way to get the kind of community I'm talking about outside of, outside of, uh, there's no way to get this kind of community out of just coming to church on Sunday. 
It doesn't, it doesn't work. The kind of community I'm talking about, it doesn't happen around a stage, it happens around tables, happens around living rooms, happens over a cup of coffee, happens when you have the chance to share your soul and to, you know, intentionally build a relationship around the way. So coming to church is great, and we, we definitely, you know, encourage it. Uh, I don't think that it's very easy to follow Jesus apart from that, um, or that you're intended to or meant to. I think it should be a, a major part of your life. But you can't develop this kind of community on a Sunday morning. This is the kind of community that happens around a table and with others. And I want to invite you in. You know, the interesting thing, we've talked for four weeks now about how to be with Jesus. And we've talked about things that are very, like, kind of personal, like prayer and fasting. That's all, that's on you, you know? That's you. I can do prayer and fasting. We've talked about abiding, learning to walk in the Spirit. Like, I can do that. Last week we talked about Sabbath, like slowing your life down, like to a rhythm that matches the way of Jesus, right? Then like the fast-paced world we live in. Like all of that is like, you can go do that. That's on you. But like this is the one thing that you can't just do by yourself because Christianity is not designed to work that way. Would you stand with me this morning? You want to be with Jesus. Then you get, you get in community, amen? Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment as we get ready to, to close in prayer? I wonder if there's any of you in here uh, this morning that you would, just, you would just say as I was preaching, teaching, that you've noticed like a general rise of loneliness in your life. We talk about um, com- the decline of community and you've seen that to be true and you've noticed that there's just like a rise of loneliness you just would admit that there are just times, seasons, moments, even maybe right now where um, you just feel incredibly lonely. Maybe you're even surrounded by people, but you feel lonely and you just know that's not the way of Jesus. Uh, first of all, we're not bringing any guilt and shame. We're just invite, I'm just inviting you into like another way. That's you today and you would just say like, like I just need, to, I just need to, to just come before the Lord and tell him like, God, I need you to change this. I need you to shift this. I need you to come close and be with me. And you're, and you're like part of your heart's cry is for God to bring into your life some of these intentional relationships built around the way. Can I see your hand here this morning if that's you? Like this is like, you're, you just need it. Like it's big time. It's big time. Like it's, it's bigger than, than maybe some of you even want to admit. Father, now I ask for providential relationships to just happen. Miracles to take place. God, that you would just move heaven and earth to bring people into our path that are a godsend. People that, that we would look back and we would go, man, I cannot believe I, I existed in this world all those years without that friend, without that other Jesus person. And so Lord, would you do whatever you, you, you do? Would you just come now and would you put your arms around every person who's just feeling an incredible amount of loneliness in their life? I pray they'd sense, feel, know, and comprehend the radical love of God and that you're not far out and away and off on vacation, but that you're here, you're now close to them, that they're not alone. And now God, would you just move deep and meaningful relationships into their life, fill the void there, God, and show them what this really looks like. Some of you here this morning, you just gotta start doing some things. Like it's not even that like the relationships aren't, aren't accessible to you. It's just that you're gonna have to do something 
You're gonna have to do something and make some hard decisions to carve out room in your life to build relationships like this. And if that's you, you've got a schedule that there's just very little margin. You're not even sure how to make this work. And you just need, you need some freedom in your life in that area. Like, like get, your, get your hand up right now. Let's just, let's just pray together right now. God, would you just move? God, would you just do it? Like I am, God, I, I, I know that, that you're tired and I'm tired of, of just the same thing, being the same thing, the same issue over and over and over again. And so Lord, I pray for just supernatural creativity to figure out where to find the, 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 the room in our schedules for more of you, for less of us, for, for intentional relationship around the way of Jesus. And God, I pray that this wouldn't be something that we would just convince ourselves we don't have time for. I pray it would be something that would hit us at a core level right now to where we would walk out here going like, I, like I am a dead if I don't get this time in my, in my schedule. I am dead spiritually if I don't find room for these types of relationships. Lord, I pray that we would see it for what it is, the plan of the enemy, the scheme of the enemy to draw us away and out of deep and meaningful relationships. And so Lord, I pray for courageous decisions in this room to say no to some good things so that we can say yes to some greater things. We give you thanks and praise in this house today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen.